This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You're listening to Around the Dial, your one-stop shop for sports talk's best moments every day. Here's your host, CBS Sports Radio's Damon Amendolara. Welcome inside Around the Dial, the best in your sports talk. For Tuesday, March the 26th, I'm your host, DA, and today we look ahead to the Sweet 16. Lot of favorites still dancing in the NCAA tournament. One of the coaches that has clearly risen to the top of his profession and is doing exactly that this week is John Beeline. This is a guy that has taken over so many programs and risen them up the rankings into the NCAA tournament and perhaps no better job he's done than Michigan over the last six seasons. This is his fifth time in the Sweet 16 over the last six years. In fact, two national championship game appearances as well. And so for John Beeline, this matchup with Texas Tech at a two versus three, what's he seeing as that's his last roadblock before an Elite Eight? He joined 97.1 The Ticket in Detroit with Jamie and Stoney. Last year, you guys won the second round. You came back to Ann Arbor, then you headed out west for the Sweet 16. Yeah. Same thing this year. How much does that help as you guys go through what's always a pretty stressful time for a basketball program? <laughs> well, it was uh, it was good. I just went, hey, whatever we did, like, we remember we played really well against Texas A&M. Yep. I said, whatever we did last year, let's do it again. And so it's pretty much practice today. Uh, you know, we'll have film and get at 2, and we'll get done with practice by 4.30, and be uh be wheels up at six thirty, land there at eight thirty, and uh you know then you just go then you just go into it so we started following that same template i think we had to we might we had the late game again i think out there I, i'm not sure but i mean it's uh we got a little bit of a routine and some experience but we still got to beat a really good team uh, talk about that that really good team. A lot of Michigan fans are already looking ahead towards you know Gonzaga or whatever. Obviously, you're not. Oh, they're, the, they're, they're, the, <laughs> they're, they're the three seed, and Jared Culver is one of the best players in the country. They play great defense. How do you stop Culver? Yeah, he is, he's t- he's tough, and uh, you got you, you hope you got a guy like Charles Matthews, right? But I've learned a lot during my time as I've matured as a coach here is. You know, sometimes uh, there's great players and then there's great defenders, and when they match up, anything can happen. And so uh, Charles Matthews is 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 really beca- is an elite defender, and he takes it personally. And we got some other guys that if you need to switch onto him, you can do some things too. But uh, get or give Charles a rest. But he's a really a really a good player, and uh, he's Charles has faced really good players, and uh, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. Should be a great great battle. What, players. what do they do defensively that makes them so good on defense? Well, they got they got experience. Number one, they have this will be one of the most experienced teams we've played. They haven't all been at Texas Tech. There's a few transfers, two grad transfers, fourth, fifth year guys. You know, heck, we got one fourth year guy and a whole bunch of second and third year guys. And uh, that's what they they really have that, and they really get up in you. Uh, just do some things to try and take you out of your rhythm. 
We're talking to John Beeline, the head coach at Michigan. John, I'm wondering, you, you've had players play for you who came in and right away they, they were stars and they were great as freshmen and sophomores. Then you've had players who've developed and Xavier is one of those guys who has developed into what he is now. How, how satisfying is that for you and what's that process been like to watch? Yeah, that's the, that's the unknown all the time. It's a great question. Because I say that, I've said that many times. You've got your Nick Stauskas and Trey Burks and Tim Hardaways and they're all first-rounders. Then you got your DJ Wilsons and Mo Wagner's that are still first rounders, but they didn't see the court as a freshman. Mm-hmm. So it's all, it's very, it's just, you got to, it, it is what it is. Some of them take a little bit more time. Sometimes their bodies aren't ready. Uh, sometimes their mind isn't ready. And uh, this, we love to see what Xavier's done right now because he's in that category of, of guys that were, you know, you didn't, as a freshman, you said, wow, he's, it's going to take him a while, and then all of a sudden, there he is, boom. And he's running the show, one of the best point guards in the entire country. Coach K gets all the love. Tom Izzo, obviously very popular. Jim Beheim's been at Syracuse for year after year. Multiple championships for Roy Williams. But is anybody as good on a game-by-game basis in March than John Beeline? Beeline has crawled up the ranks from Lemoyne College to Richmond College to then West Virginia and now Michigan. He has just won everywhere he's gone. And you got to give Beeline some major credit going into this game as well because they're a two seed. The chalk has risen in the NCAA tournament, and he is a win away from facing perhaps Gonzaga as a one to get to another. Final Four, and these are winnable games for the Wolverines. As we mentioned, it's all chalk right now in the NCAA tournament. In fact, of the AP Top 15 teams, all of them are still alive. So favorites moving their way through the bracket. Is this good, better than Cinderella for the NCAA tournament? Because it should guarantee us really good matchups of heavyweights coming up this weekend and then beyond. Here's Spiro Didis, who has called the tournament for CBS Sports, who joined Gwyn and Chris on 97.3 The Fan in San Diego. You've got the top 15 teams in the final AP poll all still in the tournament except for 15th-ranked Buffalo. So that's incredible because nobody's going to get an easy path at this point. And it's interesting how that works because it seems like the last couple of years we've been saying that, you know, there aren't any dominant teams and, yeah. you know, the lower-seeded teams have a shot. And here we are. You know, it's kind of flipped back the other way. And, you know, and that said, I, I still don't think that there's any clear-cut favorite. You know, obviously we've got the Blue Bloods that are still there, but, you know, these, these are college kids, man. These are, you know, they're 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. And, you know, this is, this is for my money, it's the best sporting event that we have. And, uh, you know, to be a part of it for, for the last, you know, nine or ten years now has been pretty awesome. And uh, this this probably this may have been my best experience, guys. I mean, the, to see the the three upsets that we had on Friday in the first round was amazing, and and I can't wait to watch these games the next couple of days. Spare, I, I got to ask you uh, from a standpoint of doing these games. You've done it from all different angles. I mean, you did it for the Lakers. You, you've been in different college settings. Is it difficult for these tournament games? Because I know how to research. I have to do for for one Padre game. You're doing it on <laughs> different occasions on on back to back nights. In some cases, he's doing four games in one day, and you got to know all the information. Is that difficult during the tournament time? It's. Uh, I, I tell people it's like cramming for a final exam and you've played hooky the whole semester like you haven't gone to class <laughs> right because you haven't seen these teams 
Right. You're, you're trying to, you know, become an expert on a team. And really, you know, the, the hard part for me, the responsibility that I think we all feel is that, you know, because this is, for most of these kids, this is their moment, right? I mean, most of them are not going to go to the NBA. They're not going to have, you know, prolific careers as pros. So this is their moment. So you really want to do them justice. You know, you want to tell their stories. You want to, you know, really present them to America in, in their best possible light. So we, you know, it's a responsibility. And so you got to, you got to crack the books. I mean, we, we get the call. We watch the selection so like everyone else. And then around 9 o'clock Eastern on Sunday night, we get the call. Hey, you're going to San Jose. These are your teams. And I literally, uh, you know, kind of bunker myself down in my room and just and just start studying. And uh, the, the other crazier part now is that we, for the last four years, we've done the first four. So in addition to the four games in the first round, we're going to Dayton to do, uh, to do the two uh, kind of playing games. So... That's added to the workload, but man, I mean, there's nothing else I'd rather do. I mean, it's such a privilege to be part of this tournament, and uh, and it's been it's really been one of the highlights of my career for sure. I am glad that you brought that up, Tony, because I've thought about this many times as an Aztec San Diego State guy, knowing that they just started kind of getting into the tournament the last decade or so. We follow the team on a daily basis, then all 18. of a sudden we turn that team over to you to call it mm-hmm. in an NCAA tournament, we want everything you say to represent our team right, accurately. Right. But there's no way you could have seen UC Irvine play all year or Oregon or all these teams. So it really is a great a slap and pat on the bat to all you guys who do a great job bringing us these games and, and creating these stories because that's part of what makes the tournament so fun. See, I think there's got to be a balance here where you definitely want the Blue Bloods, the power teams, the superstars to be in there deep into the tournament, but you also want a sprinkling of the Cinderella's. And that, I think, has been what is lacking over the first weekend of the tournament. We just don't have those really small schools, the low majors, guys you've never heard of, coaches that have come out of nowhere to still be dancing and breaking open brackets. People like the chaos and really... At this point in time, we haven't had the chaos, and it's kind of hard to believe we will because who would be that team to create a bracket buster in the NCAA tournament this year? Oregon, because they're a 12 seed? Well, yeah, but they also won the Pac-12 tournament. And early in the season, when they still had bowl ball on their roster, they were definitely a Final Four contender. So there really isn't one of those schools that would shock everybody by getting to Minneapolis, and for that, I think the tournament is worse off. Baseball's opening day is just 48 hours away, and the New York Mets have a new deal with their ace. Jacob deGrom wins the National League Cy Young Award last year and now signs a five-year extension with the New York Mets. Here's Joe Beningo and Evan Roberts, two Mets fans on WFAN in New York, talking about why deGrom and the Mets making an extension happen just makes sense. There's nothing more infuriating when you see something That works for both sides, and it doesn't happen. This makes sense for Jake. He is now protected. He knows he's getting his $17 million this year, 10 by way of a signing bonus. He knows he's getting 23 next year. He knows in what would have been his free agent year, he's getting $33.5 million. Not bad. He knows the year after that he's getting $33.5 million, and he knows the year after that he has the option right. to get another $30 million. So for Is there an opt-out in his deal after 22? That's that what, what I'm is? talking about. He has the option. Oh, he's got the option. At 30.5 in 2023. Okay. If he opts but it's his that, opt-out. It's his opt-out. Okay. The year after that, the Mets have the option in 2024. I see. So okay. for Jake, this is great. Look at all this guaranteed money he's got. Yep, and it's great for the Mets and us and the Mets fans. Of course. So the Mets 
have at least bought out a couple of free agent years. They have bought out mm-hmm. two of right. his free agent right. years, three if Jake opts in at 2023. It's great for the Mets because this idea that the Mets were better off not giving him an extension and letting him get to free agency no. was ridiculous. No, he was never coming. He would never. He would. He'd have been gone. God he, knows who we've been pitching for. Either Joe, he'd be gone, or you would have given him a worse contract. Yeah, well, that's true. So this just makes he would have been sense. gone. I'm confident he would have been gone. Probably just like Zach Wheeler will probably right. be gone. Yeah, well, but this just made freaking sense. Yep. And you're right. As we're sitting here as fans and we're seeing Chris Sale yep. and yep. Alex Bregman yep. and Eloy Jimenez, who has not played a game right. yet in the major right. leagues. Right. And we're seeing all of these guys in different parts of their careers signing extensions. Our lonely eyes turned to Jacob yep. DeGrom. Indeed. And we're going to find out. I like that. Where have you gone, Joe DiMaggio? Well, we know where Jake's <laughs> gone. Opening day in there D.C., you go. baby. There you go. And we're going to find out if we are right that because of the lack of innings this guy has thrown, because of the type of pitcher he is, will he be able to age gracefully into his 30s? I believe he will. Obviously, the Mets believe it because they just made a $100 million-plus bet on it, and I think he will. And I'm ecstatic because this guy, whether some Mets fans wanted to admit it at the time or not, has now made it clear he's the ace. It was Matt Harvey for a while. It really wasn't. It was Noah Syndergaard for a while. It really wasn't. It was always this guy. And finally... Not from just the fans, but from this organization. The man is getting the respect he deserves. He may not have the hype. He may not have the nickname. He may not get into Twitter feuds with Mr. Matt or Mike Francesa. But he is the unquestioned ace of the New York Mets. And he's going to be here for the bulk of his career. Thank you, Brody. Thank you, Will Pony, one of them, Jeff or Fred. Thank you, Jake. Thank you for sanity. Because it would have made no sense if they didn't agree to a deal. Thank you, Sanity. And now we can play baseball. Let's go. Now we can start. Let's go. Peter Alonzo will be at first base. Let's go. Big Jake will be on the mound. Let's go. And we can rock and roll. I know that when you've got 25 men in a locker room, not everybody's going to love each other. I understand that. But I genuinely think that most Met players right now are happy for Jake. And oh, don't yeah. care about yeah. the fact they're yeah. in Syracuse. No, that's a big deal. And look, you know, and Syndergaard, you know, you're down on him for, you know, what he said about Syracuse, but he was dead on about this whole thing with DeGrom. And I bet you there was a, a ton of guys in that locker room that felt the same way. Hey, what the hell are they doing here? It's been an interesting offseason for the New York Mets, led by new GM Brody Van Wagenen. Van Wagenen was a former agent. He was a guy that banged the drum for DeGrom to get an extension from the Mets And now he's given that exactly to his ace. I think this is kind of a no-win situation for Brody in terms of hard negotiation and tactics. You can't be on one side of the table and slam your fist for extensions, then be on the other side of the table and suddenly say, well, not so fast. But this definitely does make sense for both sides because DeGrom is at the height of his powers. The Mets don't have to worry about losing him. Jacob DeGrom gets his money in guaranteed years. And all feels like a good way to start the season for a Mets team that's going to be fighting upstream all season against really good competition in the National League East. Think about it. Bryce Harper's in Philadelphia. The Washington Nationals still have one of the best rotations in all of baseball. The Atlanta Braves are coming off an impressive run to the division title last year. And then the Mets. Not going to be a lot of easy W's inside the division outside of the Marlins this year. It was a difficult morning in Portland. It was a day of dark clouds and wondering what could have been. 
as the Portland Trail Blazers have been one of the most exciting teams of the Western Conference. Desires, hopes, crossing the fingers of Blazers fans that perhaps they would see their team in a conference finals. Maybe just one step away from an NBA finals for the first time since the Clyde Drexler years of the 1990s. And yet, center Yusuf Nurkic goes down last night with one of the most gruesome leg injuries we've seen in a long time. Although, I will say we've seen too many of these happen to players like Paul George and Kevin Ware and Gordon Hayward and others in the last couple of seasons. So, how is Portland responding as a city, as a fan base? Here's Dusty and Cam in the morning on 1080 The Fan in Portland as the city goes through mourning. Usually ask you how you're doing this morning, but yeah. I already know, my man. Oh, all of us are feeling it. You know, these... Anybody anybody that has a soul is feeling it. These days suck. I I, I mean this 110% because oh, yeah. one thing that we know is that uh, what you want to listen to, what you want to hear when you get into your car is you want to sure. hear the latest on the Blazers, you want to hear the latest on Yusuf Nurkic. Yeah. And the reality of it is the reason why it sucks is that uh, Yusuf Nurkic had a compound fracture of his left tibia and fibula in last night's double overtime win over the Nets, and his season is done. And uh, more so than the Blazers, you know, hopes of making the conference finals or what, getting out of the first round or whatever, is that there is a guy who has grown so much over what well, he's been here for no. three years. But the last two years, we've seen that growth as a player, as a person, as is everything here in Portland. And it all kind of comes to a screeching halt. And that, that sucks. And that one stings because you think about Yusuf Nurkic and everything he's going to have to go through over the next year because he broke his leg in half last night in that loss. Yeah, he sure did. He sure did. I'm going to take, I'm going to take a stance of my, my, just the emotional side of it. And and we'll get into it today. And everyone's going to have their reactions with it because seeing those kind of injuries and been firsthand had those kind of injuries and knowing that, you know, you wake up the next day and you have a newfound just desire to to get back. And I know they're all feeling that. And that's the kind of the side you have to feel. There's going to be a little bit of pain and agony all of us are going to see. Because after last night and witnessing that, it's 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 difficult. I mean, it's hard to watch. It's hard to see the emotions yeah. you could hear from his fans. We'll hear more from, from Dame if you haven't heard that audio. But the positive side is, is that he's okay. Mm-hmm. He's going to come back. I've seen doctors. I've seen uh, anybody that said that the bone will heal stronger than it was before. There's a lot of positivity we can take from this. We have to move. You don't have to move quickly, but we have to stay with what what you live in now. We live in sports, and this is what happens in sports. It's just hard when you get to see it firsthand, and it's right here so close to home. Yeah, good um, follow on social media for these sorts of things, if there is a good follow for these sorts of things is at in street clothes uh it's an injury blog uh his name's jeff stotts and he's he basically does injury comps um and timelines and he said you know there's only been one comparable injury in the nba since 2005 2006 to yusuf nurkic and it's paul george uh when team usa right uh, when he broke his tibia and fibula he returned to action in 247 days which is eight months after his injury uh, and that is a long time to think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, you think about eight months in that recovery. Paul George missed a full season because his happened during the summer yeah. leading a, in, into the Olympics. Um, Yusuf Nurkic happens in March. You know, that's uh, it's a few months head start, which, I mean, if you go by that timeline, which every injury is different, every person is different, that would put Yusuf Nurkic at uh, around the end of November. I wouldn't, mm-hmm. I wouldn't imagine we're going to see him until it's 2020, though, at the earliest, you know? Can I? 
I, I would. I'm just hoping that at this point, where where he he will come back, he will be able yeah. to enjoy his life uh, and just get back to where you feel a little bit of normalcy and, yeah. and understand that this this will pass and the and the injuries and the pain of what you're in right now and dealing with that, worrying about what we see in the future for him. That's just it's stuff that's just so far gone for me and my thought process right now. Yeah. I just hope I just wish him and his family and how he feels right now. Just nothing but thoughts and prayers. You wonder if this opens up the Warriors road just a little bit more. I don't know if the Blazers at full strength had a chance to knock off Golden State, but think about it. You had the Portland Trail Blazers who were really feeling themselves lose their starting center and a guy that went for more than 30 points in the loss last night. Then also the Oklahoma City Thunder, who we have been wondering, could they challenge the Golden State Warriors with Russ Westbrook and Paul George and they're the eighth seed right now in the Western Conference playoffs and playing bad basketball yet again. Tough if you were hoping to see anybody come out of the West besides the Golden State Warriors. Perhaps the Rockets are the only hope left. Owners meetings going on, and when it comes to the competition committee, what do we have to expect when it comes to a change of the rule book and what happened to the New Orleans Saints last year in the NFC Championship game? They were hosed. They were robbed. No doubt about it. They should be going to the Super Bowl after that, and instead they watch the Rams come back and complete the comeback and win in overtime. So will the NFL make changes to their rule book, allowing that play, a pass interference that was not called, to be reviewed after the debacle in New Orleans? Here's WWL New Orleans Sports Talk with play-by-play voice Zach Streif on the phone. Not only do you have seven different proposals, Zach, you also are going to have the competition committee proposals, and NFL owners are going to want to take some time to have dialogue, have conversation. They're not; they don't make knee-jerk decisions, and I, I just think that you know it, it's frustrating. I think to the fans back home because, yeah, the NFL shares the same notion, Zach, that they want to get it right, but they're also concerned with pace of play. And I think outside of New Orleans, a lot of fans are concerned with pace of play as well. Well, and, and I, you're right. They are calculated. And listen, that's a room of smart people. There's a reason that they're where they are. Um, and, and to be honest with you, the, the pace of play for me, uh, I think there's a lot of easy answers that address that. I don't think pace of play is the issue. I think the bigger issue uh, when it comes to something like this is if you can start challenging judgment calls, you're going to run into as many times where a call is not understood as it is a call gets fixed. And I think that's really ultimately, you know, what the problem is. We, how many plays have we seen in just the last few years where you see it on replay over and over and over again, and there's still not a real clear answer to it. And, you know, I think, I think ultimately that's more what they're afraid of is, hey, we're going to try to solve this issue and create another one, and we're going to end up right back in the same boat that we're in. And, and to an extent, I understand that. Now, the realities remain, the call that was missed in our game can never be missed. And, and the fact that nobody has said anything, has made no comments about how bad that is for the game really bothers me. And, and you know, at the same time, you don't expect them to say anything because it's kind of like admitting that they screwed up and they don't like doing that either. You like the idea that pass interference calls could be reviewed or should it be specifically worded, Zach, where it's in the final moments of game deciding obvious blatant call, that's where you should go back and look at it. I think that we're getting lost in the idea that every penalty, every pass interference penalty 
could be reviewed. I think they should narrow it down to when it comes to a situation like we saw in the, in the NFC Championship game, that that's where you can buzz down from up top and say, hey, you guys got to look at that. I don't love the idea of saying, yeah, we'll just review every pass interference penalty. There's going to be – there are times, and this just is what it is, and, and the league or the referees can say that this isn't – this doesn't exist. There are times when they don't want to be calling a penalty in a situation. And the minute that a team challenges it, you take all of that objectivity away from them, and you're basically saying, call this by the rule of the law. And, and to be honest with you, I don't think it's great for the sport. Now, is it, is it more fair? Maybe it is more fair, but I don't think it's great for the sport. I think you're going to end up with a lot more scenarios where you got problems. You know, I, I don't love reviewing pass interference. I think there's a lot of things that could be done a lot easier with technology from up in the booth to say at the end of the game in the last two minutes, an egregious you know, violation of the rules can be buzzed down to the head official. I don't even think we have to know about it. I think there's an easy fix here. How about the final five minutes of playoff games? There's a central review booth based in New York. Have somebody removed from the situation that just for the final five minutes can say everything is reviewable. We're looking at everything. Yeah, I know you don't want to kill the pace of a playoff game, but some things are pretty damn important. You don't have to worry about this unless it's in this instance in the waning minutes of a championship game where it's one and done. Why not just institute it? for those specific moments in the postseason. And finally, the Alliance of American Football signs Johnny Manziel. He's allocated to the Memphis Express. He actually plays in Sunday night's game for the Express, and yet he doesn't play a lot because the Express are trying to win football games, and Brandon Silvers is apparently a better option right now for Mike Singletary and the coaching staff of the Express should Memphis even care about winning football games right now? Because his Manziel's whole reason why he's there to save the franchise in Memphis and create some excitement. Here's 92-9 in Memphis and Gary Parrish and his guys debating whether they should be rooting against Brandon Silvers. I would rather the Memphis Express lose with Johnny Manziel than win with Brandon Silver. Uh, well, there's no question. I mean, the, the um, outside of the press, I was standing outside the press conference Going into the press conference afterwards, and there was a woman in a Johnny Manziel shirt, and she was just furious. <laughs> just furious after the win. Like, I mean, I hate to say this, like, and this, this would be the reason, this would be the best reason not to have ever played Brandon Silvers, is, or once you make the change, never to put him back in, is because you don't want to give him the chance to be good, right? I mean, that would be the reason. And he, because he was pretty, like, he was, he was, I better than Johnny Manziel. He wasn't more interesting. He wasn't more exciting. He wasn't more any of that. But in terms of like throwing the ball on target, moving the ball down the field, he was, last night he was probably better than Johnny Manziel. But that's why you don't give him a chance to win the job, right? In the end, you just it's it's it's. I mean, it's a little bit like hiring an interim coach who goes crazy, right? Like an interim basketball coach, whatever. You fire your coach, stick an interim coach in there. What if they do well? Even there, most people get rid of them. They say, you know, that's fine. We're loose for the long haul. And if you're in it for the long haul, that's, how, that's how you like, end up with Ed Orgeron. That's how you end up with that Orgeron. Well, well, yeah, it's exactly how you end up with that Orgeron. I mean, it's just insanity. It's pure insanity. <laughs> no one you, – you, the, the, I don't know if you could you could sense it. It's, how, it's, how, it's how you end up with Matt Luke as your head coach. <laughs> right. All right? Yeah. You get real excited right. about the interim guy. Right. Now, congratulations. Now Matt Luke's your coach. <laughs> Have fun. 
it's um, it's a problem. And and I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you could feel it. the difference in excitement was insane. I mean, it was just one year at an AAF football game that nobody cares about. And I, I, I sort of feel bad for Brandon Silver. I, you do have to admit that that was very impressive by Brandon Silver's that in this circumstance he was able to. People are yelling. We want Johnny, <laughs> and there he is in there, and he's hearing it, and he goes in and he plays well, and you know, I mean, but it's not his fault at all. It's not his fault at all. It's and now Singletary, and here's the real problem. Even if you could say, all right, well, last night was kind of an interesting story. You had this back and forth. You had this little drama. You had Johnny cussing people out. You had uh, Johnny seeing how Johnny reacted when Brandon Silver's led him to the touchdown. Like, that was a fun night, even even if it was like you're disappointed you didn't get to see more of Johnny. Well, that would be fine, except for now we got a situation where next week Brandon Silver is not just a starter. He's entrenched as a starter now. Now he's like, barring something really crazy happening, as uh, Singletary said, like, oh, like, I don't know, Johnny Manziel playing for your team. <laughs> something really crazy happening, they're going with Brandon Silver's. And so now you have Spurrier coming to town. A game that could be really high-profile game, and no one's going to give a flip because we know that we're not seeing Johnny Manziel unless something really crazy happens. You know, you you said you have to admit that Brandon Silver's played well. Here's what I have to admit: I didn't watch. I don't care. I, 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 I didn't even see it. I didn't, right. see it. I didn't care. If you're the Express, screw trying to win. Get Manziel in there. He's what everybody wants to see. He's the reason people are paying attention. He's the reason that franchise is either going to sink or swim overall long term. If Manziel's not in there playing the entire game this week, something is wrong. Because, okay, last week, maybe it's a short week, didn't have a ton of time to get ready. This week, no excuses. Get Manziel in there. Gary Parish and crew, they want to see him. And that's all that matters. That's the best in your sports talk for Tuesday, March the 26th. We'll see you tomorrow, everyone. Thanks for listening to Around the Dial. Subscribe now for the best daily recap in sports talk on Radio.com or the Radio.com app. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. 